Welcome to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy. The Mental Cast is a podcast focused on the topics and people helping drive us forward in leadership, learning, and our personal journeys. Just a reminder, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskDanMickle, A-S-K-D-A-N-M-I-C-K-L-E, or sending an email to info at danmickle.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Mental Cast. Here is the host of The Mental Cast, Dan Mickle. All right, welcome to The Mental Cast. Today we are going to talk with Eric Weiss, who is all things umpirish in baseball. And Eric, why don't you give a little bit about your background, you know, where you come from, what you do, and then we'll kind of dive into the whole profession. All right, yeah. Um, my name is Eric Weiss. I'm from Stockton, California. Um, I'm a little league umpire, um, and I pride myself on calling myself a little league umpire because um, it's obviously umpiring in all different types of levels and different um, types of leagues and stuff like that when it comes to baseball. But I um, am very proud of the fact that I do it for little league. Um, and that is actually just a hobby of mine because as a little league umpire, we are volunteers. We do not get paid. So therefore I have a daytime job. Um, I am a security officer. I work in the downtown district in Stockton and I am also the head of security at the Hagen Museum, which is an arts, uh, art and history museum in the city of Stockton. Wow. So like when we see the little league world series and everything like that, everyone there is volunteer. That is 100% correct. These guys uh, give decades, I mean, decades of their life of doing uh, all of it for free, doing it as a volunteer for their community and uh, perfecting their craft to the point to where they get the opportunity to be on the biggest stage when it comes to Little League Baseball. All right, so my background's in volleyball, and we have different governing bodies like USA Volleyball, AAU, um, JVA, and I know that there's I guess there's multiple in, in the youth baseball, right? We, we have Little League. We have, I guess, uh, Babe Ruth ball or something. And Cal Ripken now, I guess, has their own. Do you personally, like, migrate between all of them? Or do you strictly stick with Little League? And, and how's that work? I, I strictly stick with Little League. Um, I had reached out to ASA at one point and did uh, softball for them. Um, and it's just a completely different environment. Um, that's the one thing that I feel is unique about the Little League environment is uh, there's a lot more respect because it's a volunteer work. Um, we are the only, uh, we're the only organization that does not pay officials. So because of that, there's this kind of like unique respect that comes along with it. The fact that somebody is willing to put the gear on and go out there and do the work and to do it for no pay and do it for the love of the game. Um, there's just uh, that type of respect that comes with it, as well as the camarab, uh, camarab, oh my God, I can't say the word, um, <laughs> brotherhood, I guess, uh, the brotherhood that comes with um, being with the other umpires, because I feel like all Little League umpires really like connect with each other and really have each other's backs. Um, and it's really a strong brotherhood where there may be uh, not so much of a strong bond between officials who get paid because they see it more as a job 
job and this is my job and you're trying to take money from me if you're getting an assignment and I'm not. Whereas in Little League, it's where we're all rooting for each other. We want everybody to make it to the top. And um, that's, that's why I stick with Little League. And I think it's um, a unique experience being able to work with the Little League community. So how did you get into the umpire side of things? Like, were you a player and kind of grew up or, you uh, know, like in, in our world, it's a lot of parents come in cause you know, their kids start playing. So they start coaching or refing cause their kids are there. Like how, how did you get into it? Right. So, um, so I, I of course was a little leaguer uh, starting at the age of six. Um, I played little league uh, for, from when I was six all the way through when I was age 12. Um, and then after that, um, I really had nothing to do with Little League for about eight years until I was about 20 years old. Um, and I seen a posting on Facebook. They were looking for somebody to manage a Little League team right down the street from my house. And so I said, well, hey, well, uh, you know, that's something to do for the summer. So I went down there, I started coaching. And um, that's when I found out, like, there were pretty much nobody there to umpire the games. And so the the way the league was set up was that I was in the lower division so I had to we had to provide umpires for the upper division and the upper division had to provide umpires for the lower division so um, I, I took it upon myself to be the representative for my team since I was the manager and I went out there and I umpired a game and I said hey I kind of like this um, let me sign up for another one and by the end of the year I actually had umpired more games than any other person in the entire league and so when the following year came um, I, I didn't want to coach anymore because it, it, coaching and managing is such a huge time commitment. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> and so I said, well, umpiring is a little more flexible. Like I'll, I'll come back and umpire and I just keep coming back. And I've came back for the last seven years. So what's the, like, what's the training or, you know, how, how do you go through and, and hone your craft? I mean, obviously I'm sure you kind of get thrown to the wolves right away. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there's training options and maybe things that Little League provides to you guys to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for your average, you know, one time umpire, you know, most Little Leagues have those guys who just go out there and umpire one game. It is kind of a, okay, go get them, Tiger. You just kind of throw them out there. Um, but for those who really want to be in it and really want to get better and really want to take the, the job serious, um, in my local district, we have a yearly training that happens before the season starts, and it's put on by our um, umpire-in-chief for the district, as well as our umpire uh, consultant for the district. And uh, both, both of those guys are amazing. Um, our UIC out here is Andrew Shayline, who is actually an umpire in the West Regional Tournament on ESPN uh, this last season. And then our umpire consultant is Jeff Fries, who umpired in the uh, 2016 Low League World Series. So we have two guys who do uh, once a year training. Uh, we go over rules, we go over mechanics, and uh, they get us ready for the year. On top of that, there's also an opportunity um, once, well, actually twice a year now. It used to be once a year now, it's twice a year to go down to the Western Region headquarters in San Bernardino, California, and you get to spend a whole week basically doing umpire drills and umpire training. You go over rules, you go over mechanics. And that whole week, the, uh, it's all put on um, by umpires who have done regionals and World Series themselves. And so you're learning from guys who have already made it to the top, and now they're trying to teach you to get you to the top. How much do you, time do you think you spend in a year of, of training and, you know, 
I guess I, I don't know. Baseball has many rules changes from year to year. Like you know, volleyball it seems like we're changing little rules every year. But so, how much time do you think you spend on training in a year? Um, I would say during. I'm, I'm more. I'm gonna be honest. I'm. I'm not really too much of an off-season guy. Um, the only real off-season training I've ever done was last year when I actually attended that week-long training in San Bernardino, California. Um, outside of that, I'm mainly um, kind of, I get, I get myself uh, kind of back into it in February um, because our season for Little League starts in March. So um, I, I'm pretty much, I, I do consistent training from February all the way until the season ends at the beginning of July. So I'm pretty much, uh, I don't know, however much time that is, I'm pretty much going over stuff every single day throughout that time frame, from the beginning of February to beginning of July. So, uh, and that's, and whether it's by myself or with a group of umpires or whatever it may be, um, I might just be sitting at home watching a baseball game and, and I get up and I start getting into my, uh, my plate stance and I'll just start uh, calling the balls and strikes as I see them on TV and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, about six months out of the year, I would say, I spend uh, training. I do take time off during the off season to kind of unwind and kind of get my mind off of it. But once, once January, February comes along, I'm, I'm full blown into it. And I'm like calling up all my umpire buddies, like, hey, man, you want to go to the park? You want to go work on something? Like, and I'm ready to go, so. So how does the progression work? Um, you know, you mentioned some of the refs do the, the regional tournaments and I, I'm lucky enough. I live about an hour and 20 minutes from Williamsport. So growing up the little league um, world series is pretty much just like a home event for us. Um, but I know people come in from everywhere for it to play and participate. And I assume the umpires aren't just local uh, Pennsylvania guys how does that progression work like where you get to work more of the regional tournament and then like the state tournament and move on and and maybe make it to the world series yeah so the way it works is um you start by doing your local games of course and then um you also do your local tournament so every uh, area has their own uh like toc tournament and all-star tournament that they do within their district and um if you're a guy who consistently does games at the local level you're pretty much going to get those postseason assignments every year um but then from there is where it gets a little tricky um we start uh little league randomly assigns sectional tournaments and state tournaments to different districts uh each year and um i've been lucky enough for my district to host multiple sectionals and multiple state tournaments and i've been um assigned to a sectional tournament as well as to a state tournament so that's where that's kind of your next step um, after doing your local stuff is you either need to kind of wait for your area to get assigned a sectional or assigned a state so you can get put on those games. Or even if your area doesn't get assigned that, maybe a, a area kind of just outside your area might get the assignment and maybe they'll get in contact with your people to bring you over. Um, so that's kind of how that works. Uh, a lot of networking goes into that to try to get people onto sectional and state games. Once you've done that, um, you've got to make sure that you have a um, a week-long a week long academy under your belt. So that's that uh, West Region um, training that I was talking about. That is a requirement. Right. That is a requirement by Little League to be assigned to a regional or a World Series. So 
and as well as being on a sectional game or a state game. So you have to meet those requirements first and then you kind of throw your name in the hat and you just kind of sit back and wait. And uh, around Christmas time each year, the uh, Little League headquarters sends out letters to everybody who gets selected. And um, it's only 16 umpires. So 16 umpires per tournament for those big tournaments. Um, and the letters come out. And first you have to get selected to a regional. Um, and then once you get selected to a regional, then you throw your name back in the hat for the World Series. And, and what's the work crew for, like I'm assuming probably at the, at the really local level, it's just you, um, no one else. But as it gets bigger, they start adding in more officials. So you might, do you have like a work crew, you work with two other guys or is it just you the whole way up? Yeah, so um, in my district, we have um, a pretty solid group of people um, that uh, that kind of go around to every league doing games. Um, and we, we try our best to uh, do each game with two umpires, one behind the plate and one on the bases. And so I've, I've been blessed to be able to have a few guys that I'm able to, to you know, call up and say, hey, I got a game over at this league. Do you want to come do it with me? And so I kind of have my guys that I'm always umpiring with. And those are the guys that I end up working with during the tournament time. So that's kind of the tournament time is really big for us because that's kind of when we rope in the people and say, because that's when you need the most officials is during the tournament. So when you rope these people in and then you kind of get the brotherhood kind of going and uh, you like say, hey man, I, I wanna, I like working with you during this tournament. I wanna work with you some regular season games next year. And then you just build your contacts up. And then that's kind of, you just work along with those same people throughout the year, throughout the tournaments and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, so, uh, we do sometimes during our local tournaments uh, kind of bring in other officials that might be, you know, just outside our area. The bigger the tournament, the more officials you want, because you never know when somebody's going to call out. You never know when, uh, you know, life's going to happen. So, yes, we do try to expand our inventory of umpires as the postseason approaches. Um, but for regular season, it, it really is just a, a solid group of maybe 10 or 12 guys that, uh, that I work with throughout the year. And, um, and they, they become like family to me. So like, let's say a, a typical, you know, May or June Saturday for you, is, is it one game, two games? I mean, if, if it's a tournament, are you going to be there for most of the day and you kind of just rotate and or, or, no, are you going back to back to back? <laughs> so, so luckily for us, cause see now that was one of the things that I didn't like too much about doing ASA softball tournaments was that I would have to umpire six to eight games in a day, which is like mind boggling when you really think about it. Um, but luckily for us, Little League sticks to the two games a day schedule. That's pretty much no matter where you go, if you go to a Little League tournament, there's not going to be more than – and what I mean by two games a day is two time slots. So you'll have two games in the morning and two games in the afternoon playing on two different fields. So it's a total of four games, but there's only two time slots. So uh, – so no matter what's going on, the most games I'll ever do in a day is uh, two games, and usually it's one on the plate and one on the bases. Okay, that, that was going to be my next question. Like, do you do they just say, uh, it, is there like a chief assigner or someone that says, okay, Eric, you're on you're on this game, and I want you behind the plate, or do they just kind of say, you guys figure it out and and kind of go. Yeah, so um, so at the local league level, each league has their own umpire in chief who is in charge of doing the schedule, and most of them are really good on assigning uh, 
plate and base and they give you that assignment so when you show up you know what you're ready to like you know they've got it figured out already for you and then once you get to postseason like it's definitely figured out like uh um, usually the postseason is scheduled by either our um, umpire, our district umpire in chief or our district umpire consultant. And uh, they do a really good job of making sure uh, that everybody is rotated onto the plate and off of the plate, uh, not just per day, but per, but for the entire tournament. They don't, they don't want a guy showing up every day doing a plate. They're going to try to make sure you get a day off where you don't have to do a plate or a couple days off without doing a plate. They want to make sure that they're not overworking anybody and that they're not putting, you know, too many, because I'm telling you, once June and July hits, it's 100, Stockton gets up to 110, 112 degrees. You, you're going, you're suiting up. You're sitting up in that umpire gear every single day behind the plate. Uh, you're not going to last too long. So, um, yeah, so for the most part, uh, it's all pre-scheduled. Um, there has been times during the regular season where, uh, where I've actually been assigned as a solo umpire. So it's up to me to kind of use my contacts to find a partner. And then once I find a partner, then me and him kind of discuss, okay, what do you want? Well, I'll take the other one, whatever. Um, but if, if it's ever a two – two umpire or more assignment uh, that's usually already taken care of before we get to the field. Sweet. So now that we got the background and how it all operates, let's, let's go a little deeper into the actual actions and philosophy. So from a refing standpoint, what is probably your biggest challenge in that position, whether it's, it's, it's overall within the year or it's a specific game, you know, is, are, are there certain things that present, that, that you have to really work on and kind of get mentally for? I mean, obviously we're talking Little League. We're not talking MLB where you have the super, you know, million-dollar egos and stuff. But I would imagine that there's there's probably some coaches or kids that can be a little rough. And, you know, what, what's the biggest challenge that you find as an umpire? Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely um... – uh, having having professional communication skills when it comes to communicating stuff with the coaches and with the managers because a lot of these guys come from playing backgrounds and uh, they just think that since they played high school or some of them played college they think that they know all the rules already and so um, it, it does that's kind of like the main challenge is trying to explain why the call is the call to somebody who thinks that they already know the rule even though they may not um, so that's that in itself, I feel, is the biggest challenge is um, is handling the coaches and managers correctly. Um, also, uh, ignoring the parents because in, at a little league field, the parents are right on you. Like the backstop is literally right on your neck, and so you got parents. No matter what you call, I mean, all the way down to balls and strikes, every pitch, somebody's yelling from the stands telling you you suck. And so uh, you <laughs> trying to keep that focus, trying to keep that focus, and not let the fans get to you. Uh, that that's another big challenge. Um, but when it comes to uh, outside of, you know, the criticism from the coaches and managers and parents and stuff like that, uh, when it comes to actual game um, stuff, I would say uh, positioning. Positioning is always something that um, us umpires uh, work really hard on. Uh, it's really, that's really what makes our, makes or breaks our job is uh, the positioning for each and every play, knowing the situation, knowing where I need to get to in order to make the correct call. So just like a player needs to know the situation and a player needs to know what they're going to do when the ball is hit, us as umpires, we're doing the same thing. We got the same job. We got to make sure, am I going to the right? Am I going to the left? Where am I going when this happens? And of course, it's baseball. So there's an infinite amount of possibilities that can happen on every single play. And we have to know what we're going to do no matter what happens. 
So this is kind of a weird thought and I'll, I'll try to explain it the best I can. But if, if you're umpiring a team that you've seen multiple times or you start to, you know, you, you probably start to remember certain players. Do you find yourself trying to kind of check yourself to make sure that you're not over adjusting for them? Um, you know, for example, if a, if a kid has just a really wild pitch, you know, ethic and, and how they do it, do you find like maybe you move on the plate a little bit differently for that player and you kind of catch yourself and you're like, no, I got to stay consistent or, or is that okay? Is it okay to kind of move and shift where you're at? Cause you know, what's about to happen or what's going on. And, and the reason I ask that is, is twofold. Obviously you just said that you want to get in the best position and see what's going on, but you also want to stay neutral. And if I see a ref shifting or doing something and I'm the opposing team, like maybe you're giving something away. So it, it, does that ever get into your mind? Like, Oh no, I'm helping a team by giving something away. Cause I know how this kid's going to pitch or they're going to bunt or they're going to do something in this position. Or does that not even come across your mind at all? I, I will say that that is something that actually does cross my mind every now and then, um, especially you touched on the, the pitcher, the pitcher that might be a little wild. Um, there, the, the pitcher, the, what gets hard, especially in Little League, is uh, the, the catchers aren't always consistent. You don't always have the best catchers. Usually the pitchers are developed way further than the catchers are. And so um, what scares me a little bit is when uh, – I know a pitcher's a little wild, especially when he throws on the inside part of the plate and the catcher decides to set up six feet outside. Um, I, I, I'm like, I'm just sitting there like, okay, like I gotta, I, I gotta like, you know, I just gotta pray that this ball's not gonna like crack me right in the chest, you know? And, uh, and that, that's one of the times where it's like, you kind of want to move over with the catcher. You know what I'm saying? You kind of want to, the catcher takes a step over, you want to take a step over, but you, you have to just kind of say, all right, this is part of the job and you just got to buckle in and get down in position because you, you can't really adjust yourself behind the plate too much because you need to be uh, in what we call the slot, which is the location uh, between the batter and the catcher. It kind of creates this little wedge area and that's the area where you're going to see the entire plate and you're going to see the entire strike zone. And no matter if the catcher or batter moves, you got to kind of stay in that spot. So, um, so, I mean, yes, it does, when the catcher decides to go way out and you're really exposed, I mean, that thought does pass through your mind. Like, man, like, I really wish I could move over with the catcher and protect myself. But uh, you just got to kind of buckle in and, and have it be done. And uh, when it comes to being on the bases, I've actually caught myself a few times. Um, like, I know there was, there was this matchup that happened probably six times in the year uh, between um, – this really good catcher and then this team who liked to steal a lot. And so anytime there was a runner on first, I was like, okay, like this kid's going to steal. And this catcher who has a cannon of an arm, he's going to gun him out at second. So I already like start, I already felt myself wanting to take, you know, two, three steps over to the position I need to be in to make the call at second base. And I kind of had to tell myself like, no, don't do that because then, you know, that kind of tips everyone off, kind of tips the catcher off. Oh yeah, he's going, the umpire knows he's going. Or it might uh, tip the runner off like, oh, he, he knows, you know, that the catcher is going to be ready to throw it down. Maybe I shouldn't run. And so there's definitely those situations, especially in Little League, because um, like you see a lot of the same matchups over and over and over again during the regular season. So there is times where you want to kind of, you know, you just kind of foresee the play happening and you kind of just, well, let me cheat over a little to, you know, get myself in a better position. But at the same time, like you said, you really don't want to do that because it could give something away or it could just, you could overcompensate and put yourself in a bad position 
and then now you just missed the whole entire play when really all you had to do was let let the play take you uh, to the position. So how do you overcome that? Like, let's say you end up overcompensating and now you're out of position, you, you know, maybe end up missing a key pitch. How do you, I mean, there's really not a lot of time, right, between that moment and when the ball's back in the hand of the pitcher ready to go. So you don't have a lot of time to kind of check that out of your mind. Like, what do you personally do to kind of reset your mind? Like, okay, that was a bad call. Because, you know, the other side of that then is everyone thinks that maybe you're kind of going to go light on the next call because you feel like you missed that call, you, you know. So, so how do you yeah. get back into that zone where you're right? Uh, so for me, I kind of um, – I'm, I'm not afraid to call time. If, if, I feel, if I feel like something has just happened that kind of sh has shooken me up or kind of gotten me out of zone, I'm, I'll call time and I'll dust the plate off. The plate needs to be dusted off anyway. So uh, I'll call time, dust the plate off, maybe switch the ball out with the pitcher, kind of do something that doesn't look out of the ordinary to the fans or to the coaches. But really what it's doing for me is kind of getting me to reset my mind and calm myself down and uh, kind of tell myself, okay, like that might have been a bad call, but let's not make any more. Let's, uh, let's not compensate this next play based off of what just happened. And so I kind of allow that to reset myself. And then, um, if, and then, yeah, so then, so this is for behind the plate. And then um, I'll kind of, what I do is after I call time, I dust the plate, I'll switch the ball out, whatever. Uh, when I go to get back into my stance, um, there's this training uh, thing that I kind of learned about how to get into basically the best position. And it's kind of like um, a little like toe tap on the back of my heel and slide my foot over. And it kind of like gets me into this nice solid square position that I need to be in. And I kind of make sure I go through that little motion thing that I don't necessarily do uh, before every pitch. But I, I do that because I know that's going to put me into the optimal position that I need to be in for the very next play. And that's going to give me a little more confidence and uh, be, you know, just a little, make myself feel a little better that, okay, I'm about to nail this next one because now I'm in the prime position. I calm myself down. I'm ready to go and stuff like that. If it happens on the bases, um, bases are really nothing you can do. Luckily for the bases, uh, it's not very common for you to get another play on the bases right after a play on the bases just happened. So you kind of right. have, you kind of have time to just kind of, kind of think about it a little, uh, kind of, kind of go through okay what happened what should I do next time okay and then but at the same time you still want to be ready for the next play but the basic bases I feel like you're you're it's a little less uh it's a little less havoc um especially because you're out in the field so you're away from the fans you even if fans are yelling you really can't hear them too well because you're out in the field so it's a little better but as a home plate umpire if, if you do something that gets the fans going, you, you kind of have to call time, kind of reset yourself, kind of let the noise die down a little. Because, I mean, like I said, it's right on your neck. So you, uh, you kind of want that to die down a little, kind of want to reset yourself, get their confidence back, and then put the ball back in play and get ready for the next play. Which do you prefer as an umpire? Not as a fan, but as an umpire. Uh, a, a game that just is kind of very, you know, basic, batters up, batters down, you know, uh, some action, but nothing, you know, really controversial or anything like that. Or do you like those really tight back and forth where literally a call that you make could change the whole outcome of the game? Like, do you, do you thrive to be in that position or you just prefer not, it would be better if it's automatic? 
I think, I, think, I think we all thrive to be in that position. I think if you ask any umpire, um, I, think, I think you want to be the guy that makes the call, especially a very close call in a very close game that's going to decide it and you nail it. I mean, that's probably the best feeling of being an umpire that there possibly is. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's always nice to have those really quick, simple games. Nothing happens, no controversy. You get done, you go to the snack bar, you get your free hot dog and soda. Like, I mean, yeah, those are great. <laughs> But, uh, but I'll tell you what, at the end of the year, nobody's talking, nobody's telling stories about the game that, you know, went real quick, nothing happened, and they got a hot dog at the end of the game. Nobody's telling war stories about that. Everybody, at the end of the year, when they say, hey, tell me a story about what happened this year, you're going to tell them the story about the close game and about the incredible call you made at the end of the game that, you know, either won it for one team or lost it for the other team. And you talk about how great of a position you were in and you just nailed that call. And that's, that's the stories. Everybody wants those stories, you know, because especially, like I said, when I went down to that week long uh, training, it's, it's a whole week with like, I think there's like 70 or 80 umpires down there and everybody has a story and you want your story to be the best story. So everybody, everybody thrives off of having uh, those good games, those real close games and, and the game changing call, you know, everybody wants that, especially when you get it right. Do you prefer, you know, typical analogy, you know, two outs, bottom of the ninth. Do you prefer the strikeout or the home run to win the game? I've had, okay, so I haven't had too many walk-off home runs uh, in my Little League career. I think I've only seen about two of them, um, which they're amazing. When I mean, I'll tell you what, when you're behind the plate and you see the ball come in and you see the ball go out and the game's over, like, it's just one of those moments like, wow, like, I just really saw that from, like, behind the plate. And there's just something about seeing the ball fly out of the park from behind the plate that it's, you can't really explain it to someone unless they've seen it. And really, I know catchers can relate to it. I mean, they don't really get the same joy out of it because it's against their team. Um, but, <laughs> but, what's it called? but being behind the plate and seeing a home run fly off, especially one that wins the game, I mean, that's pretty exciting. But I do have to say from a personal standpoint, if there's, if there's a well-executed pitch right on that outside corner and I get to ring you up to end the game, I mean, I, that feels a little better to me. <laughs> what, what, um, do you have like any stage fright? Like, do you go through this thing? Like until you get into that groove of, you know, calling that first pitch, like are, are the butterflies going? Does that still happen? Um, or is it situational depending on how big the, the, the game is? I, I get butterflies before every single game. You would think that I'm. You would think that I'm a player playing in the World Series every single day. That's how much butterflies I get because um, I, I don't know if it's really nerves or if it's excitement. I, I I really haven't figured out why I get the butterflies or what they're from. Um, but there's just something about being able to suit up and go out on the field. Um, and just not, not too many people, once you get, I'm, I'm in my upper 20s, once you get to this age, unless you're a major league baseball player, not too many of us get to go out on a field all the time. And so still being able to do that in, you know, I have, I, I might not have a baseball uniform, but I still have a uniform and being able to put my uniform on and go out on the field and, and be someone important and be a part of the game and be immersed in the game, not just watching the game, not just you know, but to actually be in the game and be a major factor in the game. Like that, that is something that just gives me butterflies in, uh, in of itself. Um, but of course, the big situations, when the big situations come, 
the butterflies start going too. Um, I do my best not to show it because, you know, I've got to be confident and I got to, you know, be ready to make the call and be confident in my call, whatever the call may be. But there is butterflies that come because you know, the next thing you do, whatever it is that you do is going to make a difference in this game. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And it's going to be because of something you did either correctly or incorrectly. And anybody who says that that doesn't give them any type of butterflies, I, I would call them a liar because I mean, it's just like if you're a baseball player and you come up in the bottom of the night two outs and you have a chance to hit the walk off, you tell me that that player doesn't have the butterflies? Of course he does. So uh, so for an umpire, um, you know, same type of situation where we get the butterflies too because we know what something that we do or don't do can make a difference in the outcome of the game. What's your – run me through, like, what's your, your pregame prep? Like – let's just assume that you've made it to the field. Like, do you have a ritual? Do you kind of just go through something? Like, do you have something that you normally do to just get you ready and kind of focus on what you're about to do? Yeah, so um, usually I meet up with uh, my partner. We uh, pick a meetup spot, depending on what field we're at. And um, we kind of go over um, our basic responsibilities, uh, the responsibility of the home plate umpire, the responsibility of the field umpire. And these responsibilities may change depending on if it's a two-man crew, a three-man crew, a four-man crew. And I've even done a six-man crew, which that, and that's what they do in the World Series is six-man crew. And the responsibilities change the more umpires you throw out there. So it's very important that when we arrive to the field that we do uh, our pregame uh, talk and we go through who has what, what are the responsibilities, stuff like that. Um, and that not only does it help you sort out what you're responsible for or not responsible for, but it does actually get you focused for the game because you, you start to get into that zone. Okay, I need to focus. This is what I'm focusing on. This is what I'm about to do. Um, and so it's, it's important for multiple reasons. Um, and I mean, outside of that, that's pretty much it. Uh, just kind of, yeah, talk it out, uh, get dressed, get ready to go. Um, and I mean, that's, that's pretty much it for pregame for me. I, I always make sure I take a nap. That's a big one for me. Take a nap before your game. Uh, at least, a, at least an hour nap at minimum. That, that's, that was my, uh, that would be my advice to any umpire because I feel like, um, especially because the games most of the time take place in the evening. Um, so if you're up all day and you go and do an evening game, you might not be too focused. So if you're able to squeeze in a nap, I know most of us, we come straight from work being volunteer umpires. Um, and that, those, I feel like those games where I come straight from work um, aren't usually my better games. My better games are when I'm able to squeeze in an hour nap and then go to the field. I just feel a little more refreshed, a little more relaxed, a little more focused. And, uh, and so that's, that's another thing that I feel is uh, really important. So on the flip side of that, then, what's your post, post day, post game like reflection? Do you, I assume that you guys probably huddle up and talk about how it went, or you know things that could have been done. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, and then also like what do you do personally then to kind of run through what you did and and reflect on it. Yeah. So um, in the the post game, um, we pretty much sit around and. Um, we go one by one. Uh, first, the first thing that we do is we ask the person themselves, what, what do you think you did right? What do you think you did wrong? And so we allow the person to admit, if they, if they know that they had flaws in that game, we allow them to admit their flaws uh, up front before anybody throws anything on them. Uh, it's your chance to take ownership and it's your chance to uh, kind of, you know, just be be a professional and come up and say, yeah, this is what I messed up on. I understand what the correct thing to do is the next time. And this is what I'm going to work on. 
Um, and then after, after that person gives their answer, then each uh, person of the umpiring crew takes a turn letting that person know, um, kind of giving them advice. Hey, this is what I've seen you do. Maybe you want to do this next time, so on and so forth. So it's a two-part process. You, you, do the, you take ownership of what you know you messed up on, and then you allow everyone else in the crew to kind of give you advice or let you know what you can work on. And then we just go around in a circle until everyone in the crew uh, has been critiqued. And then, um, I mean, then that's pretty much it. That's pretty much how the post game goes. Um, and it's very important that uh, we, we, we don't take the critiquing as criticism because that's two different things. There's one thing to be criticized. It's another thing to be critiqued. And we try very hard to come off as we're critiquing each other, not as criticizing each other. And as uh, being as professional as we can be, we take that information and we, at least I do, I go home and I try to work on those things in like in between games. So if this was a Tuesday, my next game's on a Thursday, I'm spending all day Wednesday at my house, re, you know, kind of replaying those moments in my head, using the, uh, the comments from my fellow umpires and just kind of saying, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm preparing myself just in case those same situations happen again in my next game. And uh, so that's, that's kind of how the post game works. So if you had something directly to say to, um, I, I, actually, let's do it for each group. As an umpire, and you have the chance now to say something to a manager, what would it be? What, what would you like to see them change or maybe do different or embrace to kind of help your job or, or, or maybe just Little League in general? Like, what's one My thing you think managers could do? My number one thing, and I've been saying this for years, is managers need to read the rule book. I know that sounds so generic and it sounds like, well, that's common sense. You would be surprised how many of these rule books get handed out to coaches and managers and they never even get one page turned on them. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And I feel like that's, that's making our job as umpires very hard because we spend hours upon hours upon hours reading the rule book, going over the rules, knowing the rules. And then you have to explain them to somebody who hasn't even read the rules one time. And that's, that's just frustrating for us because it's, because it kind of feels sometimes, why are we putting in the effort to know these rules if you're not even bothering to know the rules yourself? And so uh, that's kind of the one thing to just make it easier, easier, not only on the umpires, but easier on the kids because these uh, managers and coaches, they're teaching kids who are, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. These are kids who, they only know what their coach tells them. They only know what their manager tells them. So if their manager is giving off the wrong information, then these kids are going to grow up and go to middle school and high school with the wrong knowledge of baseball. And that's just going to lead them down a path of just not understanding the game the way they could have if their coaches would have took the time to actually read the rule book. All right. Then how about from the player side? What, what's some, what's the advice that you give the players from an umpire point of view? Well, for a little leaguer, I say just have fun. That would be, that's always my advice. Um, I, I usually get uh, really good connections with each of the uh, catchers um, because I, I kind of joke around whenever I see a new catcher for the first time. I say, hey, bud, can you just do one favor for me? He goes, yeah, what's that? I said, can you just make sure I don't get hit today? And it's kind of started, it kind of breaks the ice, nice little joke. And, um, and, and I kind of get that uh, 
I say I can't say the word again. Anyway, I get that uh, nice connection. <laughs> Brotherhood. <laughs> I get that nice connection uh, with the catcher. And then kind of what that allows me is that when that catcher comes up to bat, if I see him getting frustrated a little bit, sometimes I'll kind of, you know, just say, but hey, bud, relax, you know, like just have fun. And those are the kids that I'm able to get to the most is the ones who are the catchers because I'm, I'm seeing them constantly all the time and stuff like that. Um, so I wish, uh, I wish I could uh, have a connection like that with all the kids and just kind of like tell them, hey, man, like, don't, don't worry about it too much. Because we, we've got kids out here who are 10, 10 11 years old, and um, they're trying so hard to be major league baseball players already. And I'm like, like you know, and that's kind of the pressure that comes from the parents and from the coaches. And uh, I, just, I just really want them to relax and enjoy it and have fun because um, – because I remember being a little leaguer and I, I remember how fast it went. I mean, I played for six years, but it feels like I played for six days. Like that's how quick my uh, little league career feels like it went. And I just want the kids to just relax and have fun because at some point they're not going to ever get to play ever again. That happens to everybody. At some point you just never get to play. And uh, I just want them to be able to relax and just have fun and enjoy it while they, while they get to play. Then lastly, the big one, what, what's your advice to parents and spectators? Your kid's 12. Your kid's not going to college tomorrow. Your kid's not being drafted tomorrow. That's my advice. Uh, cheer your kid on. Lift up your kid. Lift up the team. Be the support that they need. Because like I said, I, I, I personally, I have a seven-year-old, okay? He gets very emotional sometimes. And all he wants is a hug. And I think the parents sometimes forget that. When they see their kid in a uniform, they forget that they're a kid. They forget that they have emotions. They, for, they forget that they're sensitive. And, um, and I, they try so hard for, you know, they want their kid to win. They want everything to go right for their kid. They want their kid to experience, you know, what it's like to be a winner, that they forget that their kid is just trying to experience life. And they need to just uh, just relax and just be their child's support system, whether it's good, whether it's bad. You cheer for your kid, you're happy for your kid, but you need to be there and be supportive for your kid when things don't go right. Don't be that person that, oh, it's the umpire's fault or, oh, it's the coach's fault. Don't teach those lessons to your kid. Don't tell your kid, oh, your downfall is always someone else's fault. That's the biggest mistake that is happening in, uh, in really all of youth sports is the message being portrayed to the kids is when something bad happens to you, it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. And I really feel like uh, for parents, they need to just kind of say, hey, hey, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Do you want a hug? You want to go get ice cream? Like, it's all right. We're going to come back and play in a couple of days. Don't worry about it. And I really wish every parent had that mentality. Uh, it would just make everything a whole lot easier and a whole lot more enjoyable for the kids and just for everybody in general. Cool. So let's finish this whole thing out and give me, tell me about, you know, your, your podcast and what you're doing and what your goals are. And I'll let you reveal the title because I think it's probably one of the best titles I've seen in a while for a podcast. So it's, per, it's great. And, you know, just talk about like what's the future hold for you um, as an umpire or maybe, you know, branching out. Yeah. So uh, my podcast is titled the umpire strikes back. It's a play on uh, the star Wars title. Um, and uh, my intro music is actually a remixed uh, version of the uh, Imperial March. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, so uh, a lot of people get a kick out of that. Um, on my podcast, I pretty much talk about anything to do with baseball just from the view of an umpire. So a lot of times I try to focus on uh, 
controver uh, controversial plays because I mean that's what people want the explanation for uh, they and they really want the explanation from an umpire because on TV you get the explanation from the managers the players the announcers but you never get to hear from the umpires umpires don't go on camera they don't explain themselves so I kind of want to bring that aspect to people uh, kind of let them know this is the rule this is why the call was made and so on so forth um, and uh, I'm really hoping to grow my podcast to be I really want to be the go-to voice when it comes to whenever whenever anything happens I want to be the person people go to I don't know if you watch much of YouTube but um, pretty much when any any type of ejection or any controversial thing happens everybody goes on John Boy media nowadays and they, he's kind of like he does these uh, commentary uh, he does these voiceovers and stuff on the videos and he's kind of like in the baseball world, he's like the go-to guy. Like if you if you want to watch a funny baseball video, he's the go-to guy. Well, I want to be the go-to guy when somebody's looking for an explanation. When somebody wants like, what the heck just happened? Oh, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go ahead and listen to the Empire Strikes Back when he comes out with a new episode tomorrow. I want to be that guy. So that's kind of my goal uh, with the podcast. And then as far as umpiring, um, I mean, I'm. I'm trying to get to a regional. That's my next goal. I've done the training. I've done sectionals. I've done state. Um, I'm trying to get to a regional. Um, our district has a really rich history of people who have been selected to the regional. Um, so I'm, I'm just trying to be that next guy up and try to get to the regional. And then, of course, the ultimate goal, it might be 20, 30 years down the road, but I, I got to get to Williamsport, man. I never got to get there as a player. So, I mean, I, I feel like that's everyone's dream. And I, I actually know a few guys who have gotten there and, uh, and, and they, they just, the way they talk about it, it's like you would think that, that they were 11 or 12 years old because it gives you that feeling. You walk out onto the field. It's not every day that Little League umpires get to umpire in front of 40 or 50,000 people. We umpire in front of four to six people usually. <laughs> so, right, so you're talking right. about yeah you're talking about you know each kid got one or two parents in the stands then all of a sudden you're walking out into 40 or 50,000 people I mean that's uh that that's just mind-blowing to me and the way people talk about it it's just it's it just sounds even better than I could imagine it so um that is the ultimate goal from a personal standpoint um where can someone go to find your social media and your podcast and everything what's uh, yeah how can so we find you so the podcast can be found on Facebook at The Umpire Strikes Back, or you can listen on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Um, my uh, host service is uh, anchor.fm. So you could go straight to the source and listen to it there. I'm also on Spreaker.com, which is another hosting site. So pretty much, and, and I'm also on iHeartRadio. So anywhere that you can find a podcast, just type in The Umpire Strikes Back, you'll find me type the umpire strikes back on Facebook, you'll find me. The, the logo is, is, you know, you, you can't miss it. So. Great. Well, I'll tell you, what, I'll make a promise. As long as I'm still in the area and the little league stays in the area, if, if you make it, we will definitely do dinner and I'll show you around the uh, wonderful area of Pencil central Pennsylvania for you. <laughs> oh man, that, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Eric, thank you so much. It's, you know, it, it, everything that I do and, and most of the circles I run in, it's always coaching centered or parent centered. And we just don't really take the time to, to hear from the umpire perspective. And I think what you're doing and starting this podcast and, you know, wanting to, to be the voice, I, I think it's, it's a space that needs to be filled. So um, I think you're going to have a lot of success with it and, and I wish you the best on it. And, 
thank you again for taking the time and, and sit down for this, you know, half hour to do this. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, man. It's been my pleasure, man. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right. Great. Thanks everyone. And again, this has been the mental cast. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Mickle, and our guest today was Eric Weiss, umpire for the Little League in the Stockton, California, and hopefully we will get to see him uh, expand and grow his awesome podcast, The Umpire Strikes Back. You can catch it on iTunes, Anchor FM, uh, anywhere that you find podcasts, Facebook. Make sure you check the notes. I'll have all the links in the show notes and on social media. Again, Eric, thank you, and hopefully you'll get back on the uh, the, the field soon and this crazy nightmare will be over and we get back to sports a little bit too. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the mental cast powered by soul performance Academy and hosted by Dan Mickle. You can always reach the show on all social media platforms at the username at Real Dan Mickle or via the show's website at danmickle.com. Don't forget to check out our title sponsor, Soul Performance Academy, at the username at 717soul and on their website, 717soul.com. We hope you can join us for our next episode. Thank you.